Hi everyone, and welcome to Now Men, the podcast about men, masculinities, and gender equality. It's Stephen here, and today we've got a bit of a special episode for you. I'm afraid it's not about the political pandemonium we've been seeing as of late here in the UK, uh, but recently, on the 14th of October 2022, Sandy and I were invited to host a workshop at a conference called Boys at the Crossroads, Insights and Innovations in Young Masculinities, and that was organised by Bristol Young Men's Network. So we decided to do a session about Now and Men to discuss our experience of running the podcast so far and to reflect on the role that podcasts such as ours and I suppose the media more broadly may play in influencing constructions of masculinity and the lives of men and boys. So we thought you might be interested in hearing what we discussed to get an insight into the thinking behind Now and Men and what we've done so far. The conversation was facilitated by Yaz Bryan, who's involved in Bristol Young Men's Network and has worked across the front lines of homelessness, mental health, drug and alcohol recovery and domestic abuse, as well as on community reuse and nature-based projects. They've also been involved in grassroots organising and activism across multiple continents, including in worker, housing and community cooperatives. So we're really grateful to Yaz for doing such a brilliant job of chairing the session and also to the workshop attendees for their great participation. In the first part of the recording, Yaz talks with Sandy and I, and then in the second part, there's questions and answers with the workshop participants. And as it was recorded live, the audio quality isn't always perfect, especially in the second part, so apologies about that. But I'll stop talking now and uh, hope you enjoy the conversation. Um, but yeah, and so we kind of wanted, we set up the, the podcast Now and Men about a year ago, just over a year ago, uh, last July. Um, I mean, yeah, it's an area which we've both been working for quite a long time, Sandy, longer than me. <laughs> um, and I, I suppose we're both very passionate about it, really, aren't we? And um, just feeling like, you know, what, are, what, how can we get some of the things that we're, we're covering in our research that lots of other people are doing in their research as well, or kind of in their practice as well, or activism? How can we get these ideas out there kind of more broadly in society? Um, Podcasting is, you know, quite an accessible way of doing that, both in terms of, you know, it's free for people to listen to, easy for people to access. Um, it, uh, also, it's very easy for people to actually do, or relatively easy, because it's kind of very DIY, isn't it, I guess? Um, you don't need a, a huge amount of tech or technical knowledge, which we definitely don't have, as you may have seen <laughs> as, as you came in. Um, yeah, so it just seems like potentially quite a good way of getting some of the ideas that we're, we're working on out there to broader audiences, and perhaps in particular, encouraging men and boys to think about these issues of, of masculinity, gender equality, uh, violence and abuse, um, mental health, all sorts of different things that you know, we're talking about today in the, in the conference. Um, I don't, did you want to add anything, Sam? Well, only really, I mean, being sort of peripherally involved in the academic world, I know there's, as kind of as you, you've said, Stephen, there's a huge number of academic papers and articles which are available online, but only, you know, if you pay, if you're not an academic. And so, you know, there's loads of stuff out there, really interesting stuff. I was reading stuff recently. I mean, I probably shouldn't reveal ideas about future shows too much, but I was reading something about masculinities on oil rigs. You know, there's a guy who's gone and researched. He, he sat on an oil rig talking to oil workers, and I thought, wow, that'd be fantastic. That's so interesting what he's doing. You know, but you can't read that as a member of the general public without paying. So, you know, there's so much out there that uh, we just felt we could help to, to get it out more widely and, you know, engage people in some of these conversations as well. And I guess also the academic world too. Some things are written in quite sort of, you know, complex, difficult language. And actually to talk to somebody about their work sometimes makes it much more easy and accessible. So, so I think that that's partly where the podcast is coming from. At what point did you both go, yeah, let's collaborate on a podcast? Like what, what brought you 
to decide that the podcast medium was something that you wanted to work on together and and how successful do you think you've been in any of the goals you originally set out for it uh, I'm trying to remember why we started. I mean, you know, there, there was uh, there was quite a lot of conversation in um, uh, Centre for Research into Violence Abuse in Durham about podcasting and mechanisms for getting our work more more widely um, heard. I guess, um, and so there was um, following on from that a, a short half day training session on you know uh, running a podcast, and uh, uh, I, I do remember that the person. Uh, running the session said well what podcast do you listen to and I said well I don't think I listen to any you know <laughs> so <laughs> I was more at a stage of what is a podcast than anything else and you know but of course I mean in, in many ways I do through listening to radio programs etc etc um, so you know I was starting from a really low base I think Stephen perhaps slightly higher base than than me um, but we, we had collaborated on a number of pieces of research work anyway so I, I think we felt that we could work together you know, and we had support from the director of the centre as well. Um, and I think we just thought, well, let's try this and see how it goes. But I mean, one of the ideas was really to try and reach men and boys out there. You know, and I think we'll probably talk about audience, but, but that's an incredibly difficult thing to do. And when you ask how successful we've been, I, I can't say that I can answer that straightforwardly. <laughs> because, you know, in terms of audience um, you know we don't know whether they're male female other gender whatever um, we know where they are we know um, you know what country they're in for example um, we don't know their age you know there's, there's lots we don't know actually um, although our hunch is probably that uh, many of them are connected to the academic world in many ways you know they're students they're academics um, but also practitioners now I think as well so I think we wouldn't be doing it now if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, people are saying they enjoy it, they like it, they find it useful. Um, and, and also for us, you know, we're motivated by this as well. You know, we still have lots of ideas about what we want to do with this podcast and who we want to invite on and, you know, what kind of angles we might take in terms of issues and, and topics. I'm not sure I've answered your questions very accurately <laughs> because I've, I've broadened it a bit, but... Uh, Stephen, you might want well, to... Well, the only thing I would add is that I, I have been a big fan of podcasts for quite a long time, and I just find it such a, you know, accessible medium. And I suppose it is particularly popular among, like, younger generations, isn't it? Um, and it just feels like, you know, there is so much content out there on the internet which isn't necessarily that helpful <laughs> for, for men and boys, <laughs> or perhaps, perhaps even actively harmful. Um, and, but there's not a huge amount of stuff out there which is engaging with them in, in kind of more kind of healthier ways about things like gender, gender equality, relationships, um, violence, all of these different things which they'll be kind of dealing with in their day-to-day -day lives. And I don't know how successful we are in terms of, because yeah, we suspect that probably most of our audience is people who are already in this field or kind of thinking about these issues. But, you know, hopefully they might then be able to take the podcast into their work perhaps. Um, Hopefully over time you might gradually be able to build the audience as well so that you, you might have more just, you know, ordinary, you know, men and boys just kind of coming across the podcast and listening to it. But I suppose we just see it as one small part of hopefully a kind of bigger picture where there are more people doing this kind of thing um, in a kind of positive way. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know about you, it becomes quite addictive as well, doesn't it? For me, I, I did, you know, the Ujima station is right next door to us here, Bristol's black-led community radio and and I ran a show on on there for about five years that was the content was 
what am I worrying about at night or what am I inspired by? Right, great, let's get that content on the show so that I can explore it and unpack it and, and learn some more. You, you've said a little bit about audience, this sense that um, you suspect it's maybe uh, a large audience base of uh, academics or students and a hope that you might be reaching out beyond that. Do, do you know much about who your audience is and, and are you getting much direct response from listeners um, who are, who, who've been yeah, tuning in? And we do get we do get some responses, um, generally very positive, you know, which is great. Um, we also get people who say, "Can I come on the podcast? <laughs> Can my friend come on the podcast? Would you invite this academic on the podcast?" You know, but all of this is useful. But I, I think it's fair to say we haven't done any sort of systematic um, investigation of where our audience, such as it is, are at, and what they might want. You know, and, and I think that's something for us to do. Actually, is developing our relationship with the audience, because I think effective podcasts do do that. But so far, it's been sufficient for us to know that they like it and they want us to do it. Um, you also hear little tidbits. So, for example, I heard from someone whose child is in a private school, um, boys' private school, that you know one of the teachers there is using it for sessions. And you think, wow, that's... In, you know, I had no idea we might reach a sort of boys in public school audience <laughs> with some of this. You know, so so actually, when you think about who might be interested, it's it might be broader than one thinks, uh, which is great. So, yeah. Yeah. The, well, the only thing I would add is because yeah, you, you, the information you get is quite mixed. Um, well, first of all, we 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 yeah, it's pretty much all positive feedback we've received, which is obviously nice. Maybe people are just being polite as well. But also, like, we haven't received any hate for it yet, which is hopefully that will stay the case. But obviously, maybe it hasn't kind of made it out there yet to some of the nastier corners of the internet. Um, but the other thing as well is that um, yeah, it, from Spotify you can get like some information uh, about who listens to it on Spotify. And interestingly, I think that suggested that more women were listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> Which is interesting, isn't it? And maybe that's even the case at this conference, that you still see you know, more women engaging with issues about masculinity and stuff like that. So I think it shows you know, that we all have work to do in kind of getting these ideas out there to more men and boys. So it's that constant challenge, I think somebody referred to it, didn't they? How to get you know, men and boys into the room um, in the first place, because I think once we've done that, they really do appreciate having these conversations. So. So thinking about today's conference, um, you know, themed around insights and innovations in, in young masculinities and thinking about the content of, of the number of episodes that, that you've created so far, what's interested or excited you from some of the guests and the work that you've covered so far? <laughs> I seem to be going first in this. <laughs> right. well, I'm, I'm, happy, I'm happy to go first. I mean, um, I mean, one of the people we interviewed uh, fairly early on is Mike Ward, who is uh, Dr. Mike Ward. He's an academic at Swansea University, and he grew up in um, South Wales Valleys, very much sort of rooted in that place, if you like. And, and some of his research is very much about the geographies of um, uh, masculinity as well. Anyway, I mean, he um, does some really interesting research around young men in kind of post-industrial landscapes in the South Wales valleys. And he did um, ethnographic research, you know, following the lives, really, of some young men in that area, uh, aged sort of 16 to 18. And he followed them quite, quite a period of time, engaged with them in class, but also outside and so on and so forth. Um, and, you know, he was trying to um, explore how they navigate <laughs> the territory they're in. 
And, you know, he said, well, there are different... From his research, he said there are different groups. There's, there's the geeks, you know, the ones who are interested in the bookish small stuff. And, and then there's the, the goths, um, people like Stephen. No. <laughs> sorry, Stephen, sorry. <laughs> that just came out. It wasn't intended. But, uh, and then there was uh, the chameleons, I think, who were able to you know, display different masculinities in different settings, you know, and he also said, this is also about me as well. You know, I came from this background, um, my path um, away from, you know, a sort of a more day-to-day -day job, you know, and, and into being a lecturer in university was through education and the power of education, you know, and actually we've had that come through quite a lot from people we've talked to, you know, who, who might have followed a certain path in life as a young person. You know, one of them was an RAF pilot, his family were all in the RAF, one day he discovered sociology. His life changed, you know. Uh, and he was thinking, well, what am I doing doing this? You know, what? Um, so, so there have been some fascinating discussions about, I suppose, transition and how, how young people, young men navigate through you know, the difficult things that, that they face. So, so that's one example. I, I don't know, Stephen, you want to maybe yeah. add, well, add I, others, but... Well, I was thinking of the example, uh, one of the ones I've enjoyed most is uh, we interviewed somebody, uh, Professor Jason Arde, um, who was a colleague of ours at Durham. Unfortunately, he's left now. He was, he's one of the youngest like, professors in the country. Um, and he's done a lot of research uh, with young black men about kind of, especially in education, um, around how, you know, kind of we still hold a lot of kind of stereotypes about black masculinity, and, and how that leads to the kind of policing and, you know, I mean, we see it all the time, don't we? The recent horrific killing of Chris Caber, for example, just the latest case. Um, so in showing how like masculinity is experienced very differently by different communities and the, the idea society holds about that really affects how people are treated still, including in education. And, you know, for example, do, do young black men see a lot of themselves in the, in the material which is covered in education? And, and obviously now that's becoming increasingly politicized as well. Um, and he was, it was actually around the time of the, um, you know, the Colston Four um, being in court as well. So there was kind of Bristol element to the, <laughs> to the episode as well. So, um, so I found that one particularly powerful just because he's, he's such a, a nice guy. And he also spoke about like, his experiences with disability, for example, as well. And like, being, navigating a career in academia, which is still very white and middle class. And um, so that was one episode I really enjoyed. Another one, just to briefly mention, uh, we spoke to somebody called Olivia Dickinson from the Let Toys Be Toys campaign. Um, which does really interesting stuff like questioning, you know, why is it that so many of our toys and other things for children are still so marketed in a very like gendered way and what consequences does that have? You know, if, if all these weapons are being marketed at boys while well, all the kind of dolls and kind of caring toys are still being marketed at, at girls, for example. So, so I find that a really kind of uh, positive one as well, thinking about kind of younger, younger people, yeah. You've mentioned how so far the feedback you've been getting has been quite positive, right? So you're not getting trolled yet, which <laughs> might say something about what your audience is, and yeah, yeah, and, I, and I and I wonder because what, what we're seeing, um, you know, and, and Nate talked about it in the, the opening of the conference. What we're seeing in in the media and elsewhere are how uh, calls to equality and this. Um, the, these investigations into masculinity, like talking about masculinity and not just accepting it, is often met with backlash, right? So do you have any thoughts on how, how we have these conversations without creating further polarisation? Um, and are there any other frictions that you see surfacing when, when you're both 
talking about men and masculinities from a feminist perspective? Well, I suppose, I mean, the thing that, um, well, first of all, I mean, I have got, had some trolling because of my overwear, but not specifically because of the podcast, but I do think there's even an element there, isn't there, where sometimes I think it's easier for men, you know, especially, you know, men who are more privileged, such as myself, to, to speak about these issues, and we don't get as much kind of pushback or, or trolling, so that, that's another reason why we, we should be talking about these things, I guess, to, um, to take some of the heat off other groups who are kind of challenging these things uh, a lot more often. Uh, yeah, and, but I do think that, I suppose for me, just a, a crucial thing is, is just to be having the conversations, right? Having, engaging in dialogue with people and not, you know, even no matter how angry we might be sometimes about these injustices in society, like, um, and sometimes when you hear people saying things which are quite concerning or, or you know, even harmful, I suppose if we actually want them to kind of reflect on that and to think about change, engaging in change, then how can we engage in a dialogue, listen to where they're coming from and go from there, I suppose. Um, that's, that's one thing which I think is really, yeah, something I think about a lot in terms of like violence prevention work, for example. Um, but, and I think podcasts are actually quite an interesting medium in that respect, because I suppose it's all about having conversations, isn't it? And, and actually sometimes by, by having a conversation with somebody, perhaps even just hearing a conversation, it is... You, those complexities of everyday life immediately start coming out a lot more, don't they? And like, so it's, it becomes less of a kind of black and white issue than it is on social media, which, for example, which so often kind of fuels this polarisation, doesn't it? So, so maybe podcasts can contribute a little bit to kind of having a bit more of a kind of nuanced, helpful discussion about some of these things. Maybe what I'd add to that is when we started, we had a lot of conversations about what do we call this podcast? You know, do we use the F word feminism in the title? Yeah, bomb. <laughs> Should we put that in? Because, you know, we want it to, to obviously contribute to, to getting feminist messages out there, but at the same time, we don't want to turn people off by <laughs> mentioning that at the start. So that's why we didn't call it, you know, um, men's feminism or something. Um, and uh, early on, we, we thought, well, maybe we should also have a sort of sig signature question in there. So we'd, we, uh, we asked in several episodes, I think, you know, do you consider yourself to be a feminist? Um, it sounds a bit like McCarthy now. Have you ever been? So anyway, we did ask that. We got some interesting answers. But we thought, God, if we ask this every time, it's going to just it's going to get stale, to be honest. Mm. So we didn't ask that. Um, I mean, I think you know, we're not against mentioning feminism during the podcast at any any point, really. But you know, there's that balance to strike, isn't there, between you know engaging men and boys, but also not turning them off and so that's a difficult uh, balance to get right so um, there's that I mean in terms of your other your other point was about frictions surfacing when, when you're talking about men and, men and masculinities I think one of the ones for me is um, you know the tension between what is and is it worth promoting healthy masculinity as opposed to are we trying to get men and boys to disinvest from masculinity because you know the whole sort of notion of and, and concept and discourse around masculinity is actually not very helpful, you know? So um, I find that, uh, I, I come back to that question, I think we both do quite a lot. Um, and certainly, you know, um, I'm an author that we um, cite quite a lot, Michael Flood, you know, says, you've got to disinvest really, you know, we can't actually turn masculinity into something which is kind of okay. Um, we need to think about different ways of being which are free from the constraints that masculinity, masculinities impose. So, so that's one of the, the tensions that I find yeah. in, in our work. So. 
and you, we've we've talked about the F bomb. Um, yeah. Uh, and I'm wondering, um, you know, you talked about how you did for a while kind of ask people directly, you know, do you identify as a feminist or, you know, show us your feminist credentials. But but that, that actually, what I'm hearing from you is the sense that the podcast um, uh, method enables more nuanced conversations, that we, we can surface feminisms mm-hmm. without necessarily having to put a capital F next to it and, and say this is what it is. And, and that feels like an important part of mainstreaming, you know, certain values, right? Without just having to attach ideologies to them. Because that's where a lot of polarization feels like it comes from, is people's competing ideologies. What, what do you think the role of feminism is in your podcast? Does it feel like uh, a kind of golden thread through what you're doing, even if it's not something you're talk, talking about explicitly with the F word? Well, one of the things we try and do uh, in each episode is to ask people about their personal lives as well as their professional lives mm-hmm. and, you know, the journey that they may have been on to get where they are today. And I, I think I referred to that a little bit in terms of Mike Ward's background, you know, or the guy, Paul Highgate, who was in the RAF. You know, so we do try and ask those kinds of questions. <coughs> and actually, I think that works very well for a podcast because people are very interested in people's stories, yeah. really. You know, and some people have the most extraordinary stories. So actually, when we're thinking about guests to invite on, if someone has a powerful story, you know, where, I don't know, they, they turn their life, you know, upside down for a particular reason, I don't know, um, that is attractive to us. And I think it's attractive to the audience as well, because you can kind of engage with those bits and then that might be then it might be then easier to engage with some of the more sort of abstract type stuff that they're talking about, too. You know, and you think, well, this this is a this is a real person here. You know, with all the stuff that all of us have, mm. um, and yeah, I think that's that's one way in which feminism comes into the podcast for me, anyway. Yeah, no, well, I, yeah, I mean, I would say kind of feminism influences all my work. You know, it's it's more than any other probably set of ideas or whatever. It's it's just had a huge impact on me and my life and and the way I see the world. So um, I think. It, yeah, it was always going to influence the podcast and maybe like in a way one of the goals of the podcast ultimately is to try and engage with men and boys in thinking about feminism and how it's relevant to their lives and how it's actually good for them, you know, and, and um, yeah, and, and really helpful for us all to kind of reflect on and engage with it and take it up in our lives. Um, but yeah, at the same time, I think perhaps as we've said, like we perhaps don't make it too explicit, because, and, but hopefully I suppose just by, by thinking about it, by engaging with the episodes, people will go away and then and investigate it further perhaps. But, but obviously as well, feminism means very different things for different people as well, doesn't it? And I suppose fundamentally it's more about what you what you do than who well it is about who you are but it's as important as what you do I guess isn't it so hopefully we run the podcast in a way which kind of like what Sandy was saying like does fit with those kind of feminist values as well I guess yeah it sounds it feels like there's something about the podcast format that could be quite invitational as well Mm. which is very different from uh the the kind of an, an academic sense of Mm. you know I'm broadcasting out my knowledge to you but there's like an invitation to be part of a conversation and listen in and I'm, yeah. I'm really hearing that theme of the power of storytelling yeah. and, if, and if we think about what might help to counter this culture of polar this increasing cultures of polarization right it's like well how do we reconnect yeah. and there's something about mm. speaking from the personal mm. or sharing stories that 
that most people can relate to, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and I think as well, it, it just makes me think about how um, it helps to break down this notion that, for example, all academics are white straight men. Mm. You know, like class is often an invisible marker, right? Mm. It's only when somebody asks me my class background or something about my childhood that my class background becomes surfaced mm. from my very nice middle class mode of being able to communicate in certain places. Mm. And it feels like your podcast offers an invitation for academics to be like three-dimensional human beings too <laughs> and that maybe their concepts become more palatable mm. because yeah. they're presented as a human being who mm. has a passion for yeah. a certain area mm. do you feel like you're engaging with with academics in a different way in your podcast than one might in in other areas <laughs> yeah i mean I, I would say so yeah i mean yeah it's, and it's not just academics we speak to either like it is practitioners it, well yeah like we try and make it kind of um quite broad in that sense but even then like i suppose thinking about people in a slightly different way that or just as whole people right that yeah like there are all sorts of different elements to our lives we're not just about our work even though often for people working in this field their work is like a huge part of their lives isn't it so so i do think that having that personal element as being front and center of it yeah it's, it's kind of it humanizes it and i think that that does have a different impact on people as you say but also like for because obviously we are ourselves doing research and work in this area but it's really nice actually to to get the chance to have all sorts of different people come on and just hear about what they're doing and get a chance to share what they're doing because obviously there's lots of people doing great stuff which doesn't always get the kind of attention it deserves either. So, so that's another element of it. Yeah. You also get a sense of how just how different everybody is, you know, that when you invite someone to the podcast, some people say, yeah, I'd love to come on. And other people, you really have to kind of coax them, have a prior conversation, and then another one. And, you know, you can tell that they're, they're I mean, all of them are fine, frankly. But people come from a very different place in whether they want to be part of this. And, and also come from a different place in terms of how, how much they want to promote it. Because, mm -hmm. of course, it helps us. If someone has 6,000 followers on Twitter and retweets this episode, then, you know... Hopefully, you'll pick up more listeners. I and mean, it's not just a sort of marketing exercise from our <laughs> point of view, I have to say. Let's, <laughs> but, you know, that does help. But it, it, you get a sense of, you know, their approach to marketing their own work. I mean, some people don't like listening to themselves. They don't like their own voice. And they've done nothing to promote it. They say, no, you do that. You know, you do that. Um, whereas other people, yeah, you know, yeah, I want to do this. So um, you, you just get a, a sense of how different the, the guests are, really. Yeah. What have you learned from this process so far, um, other than some technical stuff, like what gets <laughs> plugged in where, right? yeah, but what yeah. have you been learning through this process? And have there been any particular moments of revelation? Has there been anything that you feel has kind of shifted or changed you in the process of having done this and had these types of conversations? I think there's something about um, having a voice, really, finding your voice. You know, um, and I've done quite a lot of writing in my life, but I've also done it, you know, in a way where your own perspective is submerged in some ways. Mm. You know, you're writing policy documents or whatever. And okay, you're choosing the words you use, you're framing them and so on and making arguments. But, but you as a person, uh, not, you know, high, highly visible within that. I mean, of course, you know, a feminist method might say you should be more visible. You should say, I am this person. But if you're writing for an organisation, then you don't <coughs> tend to do that. Um, and I think, you know, this, this is true for, for other bits of creative work you might do, creative writing. Finding your voice is very important. 
And actually, I feel like um, through the podcast, we are doing that to an extent, you know? I don't think we were particularly confident at the start when we were doing it, but I think now, you know, we do usually a little segment at the end where we talk to each other about what we've heard, you know? And I I, I feel like um, we've become a bit more confident about how we tackle that Mm. and that we uh, are engaging with each other more... um, Successively, you know, I mean, using humour, which is was a tricky thing as well, because we're dealing with some quite tough subjects here as well. So you have to think about that. Mm. Um, but I do think there's something about that finding your voice in a podcast or in lots of creative activities, which is absolutely key. So yeah, no, and I'm just in terms of the voice thing, like it is. A, I really like that as a medium as well. I had somebody make the point about podcasts recently that like um, like listening is. Something so fundamental to us as humans, really, isn't it? Like when we're born, like we learn language just through like listening, like as little babies. Like, isn't that incredible? Like, it's so built within us. It, while things like writing, you actually have to learn how to do it. But and obviously, you kind of have to learn how to listen and to really be able to understand the language. But still, there's something so kind of deep rooted within us. So, so there is something really kind of quite you know affecting about listening to people talking potentially, uh, depending on what they're saying, I guess. But um, yeah, and the only other thing I would say in terms of what what we've learned is, I would say I've kind of um, I think like my own thinking has kind of developed a lot, has become probably more nuanced um, just over the course of the podcast. Because yeah, speaking to all these different people about all of the different work they're doing, you you realise like how complex things are. And for example, if you're talking about masculinity, how yeah, like how you know we can't just come at that in a kind of critical way, but we do also yeah. And how can we actually seriously engage men and boys in a kind of positive way about this, and how are different people doing that? really effectively. So yeah, I think even in terms of that, it's, it's helped me to think a lot more deeply about, about some different uh, subjects, yeah. Do you have any advice for anyone else who's thinking, yeah, I'll have a go at doing a podcast? Would you go, no, don't do it, or <laughs> absolutely yes. And, and are there other similar podcasts out there to yours, or do you think that uh, now a man is kind of uh, filling a, a, a gap that's there and there might be room for, for other similar podcast that's also amplifying these types of conversations, these types of concepts? I would definitely say go for it because, you know, technically it's not that difficult, even though we may seem difficult at the start because we're, we're walking in. But, but really, you know, you're exploring issues you're, you're interested in, in in more depth. I mean, if there's advice to give, probably, you know, think about your audience. And when we did our training, they said, well, who's your audience? And we, I was thinking, well, it's just men and boys generally. And actually, that wasn't a sufficient answer, you know, and I could have honed it down more and probably, you know, through time, uh, we have been able to do that. Um, the telling stories thing is really important, inviting experts on who can talk in an accessible, entertaining way, you know, uh, make ideas um, uh, more open to other people. But also, I think, um, you know, just listening and responding to what they say. But there's, there's something interesting there about the place of the hosts within podcasts as well. So we don't intervene that much. We do, and we have a, a prepared set of questions. We don't follow that slavishly either. Um, but we intervene. But I think there's something different about, say, what we do from maybe the Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart podcast, which is very well known, you know, um, uh, The Rest is Politics where they are very central characters in the podcast. The podcast is largely about them, actually. It's them talking to each other about their fantastically interesting lives. I mean, they are pretty interesting. You know, I quite like their podcast, but it's a very different animal. And I also think, if you're thinking about, you know, what what would a feminist podcast 
look like, particularly with men running it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> our place in this work needs to be, you know, nuanced. We need to think about, um, you know, not dominating, not controlling, um, not claiming expertise we don't have. You know, all of these things which, which people who do the work know. But I think that also is reflected in the podcast too. So, so we're a little bit more low-key. We have time as well. So our, our episode's about an hour long. So we can let people talk and explore and, you know, and gently intervene and nudge. And so, but I think that's the sort of style that works for us. But, you know, it depends what, what topics you're addressing, perhaps. But Do you have anyone in your mind's eye when you're delivering? And, and, and I ask that because when I was doing radio, mm. you know, I'd be live in a studio in there, but it's just me and a microphone. Right? Yeah. So I had to, to be engaging and chatty. I'd kind of, I think that, like, some of my really good friends were listening, or I'd think this is mm. a topic that feels important, and I'm going to imagine you know, some young lad that I hope hears mm. this, who's questioning, is he gay? And, you know, and, and maybe he'll hear this and feel a bit better about mm. himself. Mm. So I wonder, do you, do you kind of picture people or mm. audiences as mm. your That's delivery? a great question, yeah. I mean, I, I think I probably do. Like, um, and, it, and this is the interesting thing, isn't it? There's like multiple different people in a way, because on the one hand, like, you know, I'd be picturing some of my like feminist colleagues and thinking, like, am I doing justice to, to their kind of movement and you know ideas and thinking which has had such an impact on me you know someone like my mum you know like who, who is one of our keen listeners <laughs> um, um, also someone like you know my brother you know like uh, is an ordinary guy just walking down the street is he going to get the, any of this you know like, is, is this is this going to actually make sense out there and have any kind of impact as well so, so I suppose you're having to try and kind of satisfy multiple or trying to satisfy yeah multiple different audiences but that's partly why yeah maybe it is in terms of advice it is really helpful to think like who actually do we realistically who's really going to listen to this and, and it's also important to remember what we take for granted as academics yeah, so, yeah. so notions of you know hegemonic masculinity or something <laughs> and you know protest masculinity what does that actually mean yeah. to I mean I think these are very useful concepts but you actually need to break them down a little bit uh, for other people to, to get what you're on about yeah that's it I'd often be dealing with maybe complex topics and then thinking about somebody's just tuned into this maybe in their car like, yeah. how does this land right or I'd hear people say oh I was in I was in this Caribbean cafe in St Paul's at St Paul's you know learning centre and I heard you on there and I think oh how did that topic land to a bunch of people having their lunch, you know, in you know, just down the road? So for me, I think audiences would, would shift and change, yeah. but constantly thinking about well, how might this land? Am I using mm. language that feels understandable? Am I gonna ask my guest to, um, to explain it to me in more simple terms, just mm. so that we're not, um, people aren't feeling kind of excluded from the chat? Mm. I'm aware I've been asking all the questions so far. Uh, I'm open to you to become podcast questioners. So have we got any questions that you might want to ask? Yeah. I have, I have two questions. Two questions. Go ahead, hit us with your first one. Firstly, uh, you talk a lot about being academics in the podcast world. Do you feel like your training and your expertise has helped you in any way? become a podcaster, how do you podcasting? That's a great question. Yeah, I would, I would say it has, yeah. I mean, because I suppose academia does involve like a lot of different activities and a, a, a crucial part of that is kind of like sharing your work and your ideas and your thinking with other people. And 
Um, I mean, it's funny because like academics aren't always good at that, right? Like, just because you can do good research doesn't mean you actually can get those ideas out there to people. Um, but yeah, I, in principle, I mean, I would I would say it definitely helps. And and um, I mean, one of the things I meant to say, because you asked about recommendations, that yeah, I don't think there are a huge number of podcasts out there about masculinity. So you know, I think there's a real need for more. Um, but actually, one of the ones which really inspired me in the first place was by a master's student who, uh, called Talking Research. And she done one specifically about like um, people who are doing research on like sexual violence um, and all sorts of different work going on on that. And so I don't think it's even just people, you know, academics. I think students as well. Like, just any. I mean, we can all have meaningful conversations with people. So I think ultimately anybody can do it, and that is the great thing about it. But yeah. um, nowadays, there's a lot of discussion about access in terms of getting into getting people into universities, and there's still work to be done there. But there's also a uh, sort of burgeoning discussion about once you're there. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're a disadvantaged student, how can university support you? Mm -hmm. um, what do you think? Need, what do you guys think needs to be done on that front with making sure people not only get in but graduate and have a great experience on that? I think that's an excellent question. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, well, we're both researchers, so we don't do a huge amount of teaching and thinking about that side of things. But, um, but I certainly just in terms of Durham, but I think this applies to lots of other universities as well. Like. Um, I think, I think you're, you're absolutely right, like maybe they have been making some steps forward in recruiting like, a more diverse student body than the one which currently, but yeah, which lots of them have. But I think, yeah, exactly, that is, the, that is a huge problem, is that then often when, when students are getting to these universities, they're finding it a really oppressive environment, right? That's, if I think about Durham, it's got such an elitist atmosphere, especially among undergraduate students. But, and, and even in terms of the context, you know, Durham, County Durham is a very like working class um, it has a really strong working class history, like things like mining, trade unionism. But you don't really see that really represented that much at all at the university because it predominantly is students coming from the south of England, from very middle class or upper class families. Um, and they have all these kind of cultures and rituals which a lot of people find very alienating. Um, and there's even, a, 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 there are you know, lots of students from the Northeast with like, from working class backgrounds even say that they get like bullied and mocked for having like a Northeast accent like in the Northeast. So yeah, there are, there are huge problems there and a lot of work to be done, I think a lot more work um, for sure. And uh, yeah, I think perhaps listening to students more about their experiences would be the obvious first step, I think there, um, yeah. And you maybe had an answer to one well, of first yes, question. Yes, I do actually, because um, as I think uh, I said right at the start, I've you know, not been an academic for the whole of my career. So I've worked in community organisations, um, you know, in education, um, you know, in charities and so on and so forth. And so I feel I can draw upon all of that stuff in terms of what we do with the podcast. Um, just to give a quick example, we uh, talked to a guy called Dan Boyden who does work in, in prisons with men, he runs groups um, there, you know, and, and his world, the way he was describing the challenges of working in a prison, you know, just the environment, the, the clanking of doors, the keys, the chains, the, you know, things, the locking, unlocking, the lockdowns, you know, all of that stuff as, as a sort of environment of a prison, I, I just sort of really thought, oh God, I know that, you know, from work that I used to do. And, and also I remembered stuff from my earlier career where we talked so much more about community alternatives to prison. You know, and you feel like in some ways, I and mean, we talk about things that we've progressed with, but in some ways we've gone backwards as well, you know. I mean, there was this guy called Jerome Miller in the 1980s who closed down the correctional facilities in Massachusetts in the, in the expectation that community alternatives would arise, which they did. You know, you think, God, we were doing that then, and yet now, here we are, 
you know, trying to work with guys in prison. I'm not saying don't do that work, it's really important, but um, yeah, it, it feels like um, there's, there's some backward movement there really as well. But, but it, it does give me a way to access different parts of my life, I think, and draw upon different parts of my life. You know, I'm not just an academic who just reads papers. I, you know, I'm a living, breathing human being. I you know, do all kinds of other stuff. So I think that's important. And I think for a good podcast, you, you need to be yourself really and, and bring parts of yourself to it. You know, and people like that. And there's something really key in feminism, really, and, and types of feminism that looks at the, you know, we, practitioners talk more and more now about people with lived experience and how we should be um, uh, recognising the expertise of people with lived experience. Mm. Well, that's a key kind mm. of feminist concept that's, mm. that's been there forever, right? And, and then there's something about you know, my lived experience is as formative in, in my practice mm. as anything I've read yeah, and yeah. anything that I think, right? Mm. Like, it, it's a key, it's key to how I show up in the world and, and how I practice mm. my work. Go ahead, Jeff. Yeah, I was just thinking, I, I work with, on a youth worker, I work a lot with young men. Um, one of the tools we use to explore some of their issues is directly looking at masculinity. And you were discussing the polarization. And I guess it's expected, right? We're challenging people's comfort zones here. I have young people who have been incredibly oppressed, essentially, by masculine structures and the lack of expression they afford them. Nonetheless, when I'm challenging it, I'm challenging the entirety of a person's lived experience mm -hmm. up until this point in their life. Mm -hmm. And we shouldn't necessarily be avoiding having this, you know? Mm -hmm. Make someone have their, um, harshest stand that they can against what it is we're suggesting and hopefully across the course of time if we can work with them we can expose them to ideas that show that their um, harshness doesn't stand up to the scrutiny when it's examined. Um, the question I had was you suggest you've worked with uh, or spoken to a lot of different people from a lot of different experiences, positions and society backgrounds. Are there um, I'm assuming mostly it's just people who have been born and raised in England, or is it not the case? Well, I mean, yeah, that's, 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 that, that in itself is something we've kind of wondered about, because, like, it is quite UK-focused, but we're trying to make it, in, like, trying to broaden it out internationally a little bit, but, yeah, we haven't done that much yet, but, yeah. like, in the future. So, yeah. the idea I had, I guess, is what are the common themes between people who live in very different spaces, but... We obviously all have the same um, overarching patriarchal world that's implanting these ideas onto us and enforcing them on us. Do you, you have any idea about people who come from very different spaces and their similarities and their experiences? That's a great question. Yeah. It's a great question. It's a difficult one to answer. Yeah. I mean, I th think certainly that you know the, the podcast, the, the episode with Raywin Connell. You know, her, her work is is very um, global. I mean, she's based in Australia, but actually. Uh, you know, her work addresses many other countries as well, and she, she has a particular perspective on what she calls Southern theory as well. So, you know, and the academic world is changing too. We're thinking about decolonization and colonialism and so on, and how do we actually adjust and change and transform the ways we've looked at the, looked at the world. So, so that, that is going on, and I think that's possibly the best example. But we've had other people on from different contexts as well. I, mean, I was thinking of Sebastian yeah. Milano, who's based in Boston in the US, works for Oxfam America. He's actually Colombian by background, and he talked quite movingly about his background growing up in Colombia, and you know, surrounded by violence and Black Hawk helicopters and stuff. And 
you know, it made me think about Northern Ireland and what's gone on in Northern Ireland, you know, whilst I was growing up, and I wasn't in Northern Ireland, but, you know, we had this situation of conflict right on our doorstep, and most of the people in England knew diddly squat about it, you know, incredibly. So I, I think you can share experiences and exchange experiences in quite interesting ways, actually. I won't say more than that, but... Well, the only thing I would add as, as well is obviously like men and masculinities are so broad, so varied, so like that is a, a goal, I guess, isn't it? Is to up, try and capture that, that huge diversity. And, but then there's also a challenge, isn't there, as well, in terms of the question about looking internationally. Is like, how do you, like, if we are focusing it primarily on the UK, like, yeah, is there a risk of alienating the UK audience if we then explore all these other issues going on in other countries? Or, you know, like just getting that balance, again, connecting to what we were saying in terms of like, who is your audience and like, because ultimately these issues are relevant to everyone, aren't they? As you said, like everybody is affected by this stuff. Um, but you can't just say, well, we're aiming our podcast at everyone. <laughs> because even though obviously we kind of are, but at the same time, like, yeah, we're probably not going to reach everyone. So we have to make it a bit more targeted kind of thing. But, um, but no, I think it's a great question and something which, yeah, we always kind of grappling with, I guess. Yeah. Cause yeah, there's, I guess some of the, the different themes in today's conference is just trying to unpack, you know, what do we mean by masculinities? How, how is it differently experienced and created? And what are the histories of that? You know, thinking about Lewis Wedlock's keynote, you know, opening speech, really citing um, those concepts of masculinities. Is there a universal patriarchy mm. when... Um, when what we have is is a very kind of colonizer view of 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 masculinity that has you know been imposed globally so it it's it's come there's so much complexity yeah. there isn't there of like what is the what is the is there a golden thread of patriarchy what is what is the root source of it like mm. So it's one of those things to really grapple with. And just, just another thing, just to add, add there as well, like one thing which I think about a lot is that like, I suppose within academia, traditionally, I think the kind of men and masculinities field has been, it needs decolonizing basically, you know, it's quite dominated by white men from middle class backgrounds and um, from Western countries. Um, and those voices are very dominant. And I suppose there's, there's a risk as well of reproducing that in the podcast space, right? They're like, we're very lucky that we all speak English and English is like so many people speak English across the world but in the process that also alienates other people who are doing all sorts of great work in other countries where English isn't the dominant language so so that's another thing to think about I guess is like how can we challenge and not reproduce some of these inequalities mm. within within this this field itself I guess yeah. Mm. Well, any other questions? Yeah go ahead. Yeah um I guess the question comes from the position where uh, like in my organisation, in my work, trying to think about what you can accomplish and what we can't accomplish and what's better accomplished by other people. Yeah. And you know, listening to, to a couple of the guys here this morning, just recently, about the work that they're doing, it's like, okay, there's a different relationship there than what we have in our spaces yeah. and what you have in the podcast. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, um, I imagine you've got a, an idea of transforming uh, society or individuals a little bit, you know, like there's a positive impact there. Do you think about what things you can achieve and what things you can't achieve through the podcast? And do you actively avoid those conversations which might be like better had by people who can be curious and hear an answer back and have that dialogue? Um, that's my question. What can we achieve with podcasts? <laughs> no, well, I think that that is a brilliant question, and I think you're absolutely right that, like, and I've thought about this quite a lot. That, like, 
what can a podcast achieve? And all, like, what does the, what does any kind of media? What impact does it have, really? Like, it does have some impact, but but probably on its own, not that much. <laughs> you know, um, and I think so. I think we do have to be realistic with podcasts. But yeah, obviously, we're we're trying to instigate reflection and kind of some critical thinking. Maybe like getting some ideas out there and getting some light bulbs going in people's heads maybe about some of these different issues, but, but probably on its own, that, that's all we can achieve, right? I mean, yeah, I, I do like, I think it's something really positive and important, but on its own, I, I just see it as kind of one small part of one contribution to these much bigger conversations that we need to be ha having, but which are not ha happening anywhere near enough, right? That's the thing. I mean, it's easy to think it's somewhere like this, that, oh, like, everybody's talking about masculinity and gender, but they're really not, are they? <laughs> and these, but these are such huge issues. Um, so, so, yeah, I, I just think that, we, I think you're absolutely right, we do need to be realistic and kind of um, not too ambitious in what we can achieve, but hopefully by doing this, maybe that encourages other people as well to start these conversations in whatever ways they think work for them, whether that's a podcast or some other medium. Yeah. One thing I would add to that is having these conversations sparks these type of conversations. I didn't used to have these conversations with my young people. I had a few conversations with me went not a year and a half ago, and now my young people get forced to have conversations. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking, listening to you as well, there's something about I always say to people in any form of intervention or activism, we always want to measure, like, did that have an impact? Have I fixed things? And I think, I kind of think two things helps me keep active and not just be like, it's so overwhelming, I can't do it. And one is thinking about what's my piece of the jigsaw puzzle? I don't have to fix it all. I recognise what my piece is and I trust you've got your piece and together we make the puzzle. And the other is around the, the ripple effect. Like, I don't know, I don't know what the impact of my interventions are, but I'm gonna trust, yeah. I'm gonna trust it rather than not trust it, right? Yeah. And there's something around, you know, well, what is the power of a singular podcast? But we know how um, masculinities and ideas of manhood can be so impacted by the culture we're in and so then we have a responsibility to make that culture right and like podcasting is a form of cultural making and whether that's people making music or a podcast if it's the conscious lyrics that they're playing on the radio you know I used to think even on the radio there were tunes that I thought were fat but I cannot amplify that message, you know? So there's that power of like, we're cultural makers and what's our piece of doing that. Yeah. <laughs> I think you've answered that much better than I could, <laughs> frankly, so would you like to come on the podcast? <laughs> I think I'm on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true, you are, yeah. Good point, good point. I think we're all on it right now, right? Are there any other questions that people have? Yeah, it's just got me thinking that we listen to this. And I wonder, the connotations all seem really quite negative against masculinity. And like, it feels like, is the idea to sort of pull it out of the sea and, and sink it? Or is the idea to get people to be masculine in a different way? It's a good question. <laughs> well, that goes back to the point that I was making earlier about is there such a thing as healthy masculinity or actually do we need to explode the whole concept and say, you know, get rid of these gender limitations for everybody? Um, I don't. I don't think there's an answer to that, an easy one. You know. Mm. I, I think for me, the, I think a key task for me is to show that actually 
there are lots of different ways of being a man. But often, as, as Lewis was saying earlier, like, that isn't... A lot of boys and men don't get that message, right? They get the idea that there are only certain ways you can be a man. And, or certainly if you want to be cool or popular or liked or not bullied or beaten up or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, so first of all, we just need to open the eye, open it up, right? And show that there's lots of different ways you can do this. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I think that the whole kind of... It's a, it's a real dilemma, isn't it? Because I totally get... Uh, I think it can be effective to to focus on what are more positive, more, more healthy ways of being a man, and even what are some ideas that we do associate with masculinity which aren't harmful and which are actually, you know, quite positive for, for people to kind of pursue. Um, but ultimately, I, I do also kind of think what Sandy was saying earlier as well, that kind of maybe we do need to just, rather than just working towards a different way of being a man, maybe we just need to just let people be their true authentic selves, whatever that is, you know, and just kind of try and just move away from the idea that we should be kind of trying to fit in with one, one set of ideas, even if they are a healthy set of ideas about masculinity or femininity or whatever. Um, yeah, just be whoever, whoever we want to be, really. <laughs> and it feels complex. You know, I think about, um, you know, points in my life where I've been like, no, let's just destroy it, right? <laughs> and then other points, and especially speaking as a queer person, like, friends of mine who've transitioned who mm -hmm. are then going, well, what's my version of masculinity? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody is going to be um, in one of the events later today called Raju talking about trans masculinities and their um, queer working class person of colour who lived in women's refuges as a child, uh, uh, you know, read as female experiencing domestic abuse and then was like, oh, wait a minute, I'm trans. Where does that leave me? Like, what's this version of masculinity that I'm now going to be mm -hmm. constructing? Mm -hmm. And where does my feminism come into that? So it's, you know, if, if we're not seeing gender as this binary and we're seeing that femininities and masculinities and everything in between, if we can open them up to people go and say, well, what do you, how do you want to be? Yeah, yeah. How do you want to perform? Yeah. Then it, for me, it, it it, it feels complex to go, do we just send it out to sea or do we <laughs> yeah. reconstruct it and keep reconstructing it, keep mm. and keep and keep? Because it's never a done no, deal, absolutely. right? Yeah. Mm. 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 I suppose, uh, so uh, I'm a now dad, my son's three, and having to retrain my bad habits that I've learned from my upbringing is really hard as well because I can influence influence enough in my home but then like we were talking about the toys and how that influences uh, our children and at his nursery it's all females and it, so he was given those toys and these are certain certain books we, we want to read to you and and I've definitely noticed like him pick up bad habits now um, I suppose with the work you do, is that something you're looking at sort of that real young age and those, how we can sort of do that as much, how we can create an amazing environment at home, but then once they leave that home, they pick up all these terrible bad habits that are in society. Yeah, and we did, I think Stephen referred to it, have an episode with a woman called Olivia Dickinson who, who works with a campaign called Let Toys Be Toys. And they also, I think, have let clothes be clothes, and <laughs> you know, I mean, there's there's various ways you can look at this, really. And I think, I mean, their campaign is about challenging some of this yeah. stuff and writing to the toy manufacturer and say, "Are you sure you're going to do that? I mean, why? Why? <laughs> you know, have you thought about the messages um, 
and here's some examples of you know all the pink clothing section and here's the blue section and you know so the, there is that sort of challenge going on but it's on a quite a small scale and of course you bump into all the consumerism of it all mm-hmm. you know what sells mm-hmm. and that's a key part of our world isn't it really um, but you know I, I was surprised I mean I'm a parent and I, I was surprised when um, you know friends of mine said well he, he likes swords so I gave him a sword <laughs> and he said well <laughs> Why did he like swords? <laughs> you know, where does that come from? And they said, well, I don't know, but he's a boy, so he must like swords. You know, and it's, it's quite hard, really, to, to challenge some of that stuff. But I feel we have to, in a, in a way, keep doing that, you know. And keep, but I have noticed myself sort of transfixed in the toy department, thinking, oh, God, I don't know what to buy now. I really have no idea because this Lego here is, like, really bad. And this one's, re- yeah, that's really male, in inverted commas, and this is female Lego or something. And just feeling completely sort of disempowered by this and thinking, I don't know where to start with it. So, mm. so it is huge. And as you say, it's reinforced, you know, in nurseries, in primary mm. school and so on and so forth. But that's why we need to have, keep having these conversations, really, mm. you know. And, and even when you, you know, I mean, say in a primary school, you, you, you change who the personnel are. You get a man in. Well, you know, does he end up doing the man stuff, you know, <laughs> in inverted commas again? Is he managing the sports and, you know? Um, so there's challenges in that really too. So it's not just as simple as, you know, you change the staffing. Mm-hmm. You have to think about what's in people's heads and you have to return to it constantly. It's, you know, it needs to be part of supervision. It needs to be part of training. It needs to be part of, you know, the, the sessions that staff have. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to constantly work on it really. Yeah, have you um, looked at any of these things, how they've changed over time? I know that obviously, you're limited to people who are alive. <laughs> 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 but, um, you know, like, whether or not 50 years plus ago, some of these ideas would have been, ideas would have been different, or what would have meant maybe 100 years ago. We, we're aware that they came from somewhere long ago. Mm. We're aware we've got them now and we didn't create them. Um, you know, Lewis earlier suggested maybe the Enlightenment period. We don't have any concrete idea of how 100 years down the line am I still being affected by stuff my great-granddad was probably being affected by it. And I wondered if um, anyone is an expert on that or you thought about these things. Well, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, I mean, but that is the, one of the really powerful things, I think, isn't it? Is to look back in history and see that things haven't always been this way, therefore they can also change. <laughs> and, and so we like, we, a lot of people do think that these things are somehow just natural and innate within us. Like you were saying, that somehow boys are just naturally more aggressive and want to play with the weapons and stuff. Um, but yeah, if you just go back in history, you can see that these things haven't always been the case. Like, pink wasn't always associated with femininity, for example. Um, yeah, and a lot of this stuff as well. You know, I mean, it's not just about patriarchy, is it? it's also about capitalism, for example, in terms of, like, how toys are being marketed and, you know, now we're living in this, like, really neoliberal society and, like, companies are using whatever methods they can to, like, push their products on us. So, like, toys didn't used to be marketed in such a kind of gendered way. But obviously they've realised that you can make a lot more money if parents are having to buy two different sets of toys. Uh, and stuff like that so uh, so no i think that kind of historical perspective is so valuable yeah but yeah thank you so much thanks for being on today's podcast thank you So that's it for today. We hope you found that an interesting discussion. Thank you, as always, for listening. And Sandy and I will be back with another episode soon. 
And in the meantime, don't hesitate to contact us at nowandmen at gmail.com if you've got your own questions or comments for the podcast. And please do subscribe if you haven't done so already, leave a review and share it with your friends. But for now, goodbye.